Let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The story of the healing of Naaman is a wonderful, interesting story. I don't know how close you are following along. There are all kinds of twists and turns. It has much resonance and relevance for today, in fact. But before we unpack that in terms of what it means for us today, let's dive into the story a little bit more because it's rich in details. First, a little bit of background geopolitically of where we are. If we could get the map image up. This took place at the time when Israel was divided into two kingdoms, a northern and a southern kingdom. Now in the southern kingdom of Judah, the yellow one, that's where Bethlehem was. That represented two tribes. Ten tribes were represented by uh, what says Israel, or referred to as the northern kingdom, and the capital there was Samaria. Now, the northern kingdom in particular at the time of Naaman's story was engaged in contentious battles with its neighbors on a regular basis. And in particular, it was the Assyrian Empire, or otherwise known as the uh, uh, Aram, the, Ar Arman the uh, uh, Armenians. And that's where you get the king that, that is one of the main players today, as well as Naaman. They were essentially the Assyrians who were at battle. Now, enter Naaman, the commander of the Assyrian army, and they had just defeated Israel. And so uh, Naaman was uh, considered a great man. He was a hero in his land, and he was held in great esteem by the king of Assyria. But Naaman had one serious issue that he was dealing with. He had leprosy, and as Sinead reminded us, a terrible skin disease for which there was no cure at that time. It was fatal, and even worse than that, the social stigma attached with, with this was, was significant, even for a great warrior like Naaman. So this was a, a crisis for Naaman and for his people. One of Naaman's slaves, we can surmise there were several, but there was at least one, a slave girl, a young girl, who was taken captive when the Assyrians raided Israel. So just imagine for a moment, if you will, if we hit the pause button, what her life was like, a young girl taken hostage and forced to be a slave and serve in particular, Naaman's wife, in a strange country. We still have that sort of thing today, regrettably. So what does this little girl do when she learns of Naaman's disease? She says to Naaman's wife, if only my master, Naaman, could meet the prophet from Samaria back in my home, and he, he would heal Naaman. Wow. Talk about loving your enemies, the one who took you captive, wanting to bring about healing for him. And by the way, the prophet in Samaria, anybody 
know who she's referring to? Elisha, the uh, successor to the more famous Elijah, but this would be Elisha, and we'll get to Elisha in just a moment. Well, uh, Naaman's wife takes this as a um, legit possibility, tells Naaman. Naaman also thinks of it as a, a credible possibility. So he tells his king, and his king says, Naaman, we're going to send you to Israel. We're going to send you to the king of Israel, and I'll write a letter requesting your healing. And so let's get the show on the road. So they start assembling all the war chariots and horses, and Naaman begins his journey. Anybody see anything wrong with, with this plan at this point, given what we know? What's that? Well, yeah, what are you going to the king? Don't you remember what the, the girl said? It's the prophet in Samaria, not the king. Well, why do you suppose they operate this way? Maybe because some people think that, well, uh, you know, that, that, that healing and restoration is always something you purchase or it's, you, you have the right resources and power, you can get it done. We don't know. Or maybe this is just protocol and they're trying to get to Elisha. Well, let's see how the story plays out. So they arrive uh, in front of the king of Israel, the very one they just defeated in battle, and Naaman was the one who did it, and he shows up with all his, how do you think the king of Israel uh, felt about this? But he um, received the letter along with gold and silver and all kinds of elaborate garments, and he read uh, the letter, which simply said, uh, hello, king of Israel, hope you are well. It's a king from Assyria. Yeah, please uh, heal my servant Naaman who accompanies this letter on this day. So, no reference to Elisha. So, uh, what got lost in the translation? Uh, the prophet it seems to be completely forgotten at this point. I don't know how this is going to... Hopefully, the, the, the king will take it in stride, though, I'm sure, this request. So, what does the king do? He, king of Israel. He tears his clothes and throws up his hands, and he says, who do they think I am, God, that I can heal this man? Do I have the power over life and death? They've made an impossible demand on me that I can't possibly meet because they're picking a fight with me. They're finding another reason to go to battle, to go to war, and to put us to shame once again. This is his interpretation. So he basically has a meltdown. <laughs> Enter Elisha, who somehow hears word of the fact that Naaman came with the letter, and the king had the meltdown. So Elisha sends a messenger to the king of Israel saying, um, Dear king, I, I heard you ripped your clothes apart and uh, are in a bit of a panic. Please send Naaman my way and he'll learn what a real prophet is like. <laughs> and so the king was happy to do that. Naaman, please, please go see Elisha. He has the answer for you. So now the chariots and the horses and Naaman head down to where Elisha lives and they pull up in front of his house and they, they don't go in expecting, I'm sure, Elisha to come out to meet them. But rather than Elisha coming out, Elisha simply sends a messenger out to Naaman with the instructions, uh, go in the river Jordan, wash seven times and you will be restored. <laughs> Kind of funny, Elisha requested Naaman come down there. He doesn't even go out to see him. I don't know, he's kind of cranky old guy or what, what his deal is, but, but he didn't. So, and, and Naaman, how does Naaman react to this? Well, well he's furious. For, for starters, Elisha doesn't even come to meet him, the mighty warrior, the commander of the Assyrian 
uh, army. And then he tells them to just wash in the River Jordan. And as you can tell from, from the text, he basically says, the River Jordan, this muddy creek, anybody ever been over there, by the way? The River Jordan is not the Mississippi River, okay? It's basically a creek or a stream, and it's kind of muddy. And so he said, well, our river's back in, back in Damascus are far better than the Jordan. If this was all that was required, I'll just go there and wash. What's he having me do this for? And, 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 and by the way, uh, it's pretty clear what he expected was something much more grand that Elisha would come out and hold his hand up and call upon the name of the Lord to bring healing to this poor soul and wave his hands and healing would occur and it would be a big dramatic thing, sort of like the faith healers you know, in the south or, or whatever. Well, it's nothing of the sort. So he was insulted by this and finally said, okay, we're out of here. Come on, we're going back. At this point, uh, his servants... Uh, stopped him before he got too far. And by the way, servants here uh, unambiguously means slaves. They approach Naaman and one of them says, um, Master, you know, uh, let's, just, let's just think about this. Um, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, that you, you would have surely done that, I think. And in this case, all he did was ask, you do something very simple, which rubbed you the wrong way, understandably, but, um, you know, maybe since it's really simple, you should just do it and see what happens. I mean, what do you have to lose? There's really no cost in that, right? <laughs> and so here's the second case where a servant, a slave, changes the story and steers it in the direction of healing. And for the second time, Naaman takes the word of this slave and does as was suggested. He could have reacted differently, right? I mean, wasn't that a little gutsy on the part of the servants? To, it's a bit confrontational, kind of like we know more than you, uh, Naaman. You know, it all worked out. And Naaman did precisely as he was told. He went into the Jordan. He washed seven times. And he was restored, he was healed. It said that his skin afterwards was like that of a young boy. And in response, he was grateful and he had the epiphany, the revelation. Uh, and he said so, that the God of Israel is the one true God. And so now he wanted to give gifts again to Elisha. But this time, gifts of gratitude and thankfulness for what had been done to him. Earlier, of course, he offered the gifts to both men, the king and to Elisha, but they were, they were refused. Now his gift was an offering. So, quite an interesting story. What do we, uh, what do we make of this story? I have three uh, quick points. What do you expect? Three I'm a pastor, I deal in threes. Um, the first one simply being this. This story is, is obviously a story about healing, and we learn something about God, that God is a healer, and God doesn't operate with the normal boundaries we do about who should get healed and who should not. Uh, it is about both us and them, as Sinead made clear, uh, no matter what the circumstances. I thought I would share with you 
uh, five different artistic depictions uh, over different periods of time and different styles, uh, because this is a story that's been covered much by art. This one's from a Watchtower, I believe, which I think is Jehovah's Witnesses, kind of a, kind of a lovely piece. Uh, the next one, uh, stained glass panel, is one of many in the Museum in London, as it's called, that comes from a Cistercian Abbey in the 16th century. Sorry if I'm standing in your way. The next white print of Naaman bathing by the artist is uh, Matthew Marion. This is in the British Museum. The next one is a Jonathan Miller oil painting, a little more abstract, and clearly you have this image of God healing. And then the last one is uh, the prophet Elisha healing, cleansing Naaman. This is a painting by Giorgio Vasari. I just picked some ones that I thought were interesting. So, all about healing. God is a healer. And again, God's desire to heal people extends beyond his chosen people, right? He healed not only, think about this, not only a foreigner, them, but an oppressor of Israel he healed. What outlandish behavior is this? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Whom do you see God's presence in all of this? So just when we think God does only good things for me and my kind, you know, the people who deserve it, God goes and does something like this. And this happens over and over again in Scripture. As humans, we certainly tend to think this way, the us versus them. But this is a God who crosses the boundaries that we think ought to be restraining God's activity, but they don't. Is it any wonder that this God would eventually empty himself of his power, take the form of, yes, a servant, <laughs> remember some of the key players in this story, in order to become one of us. Why? To heal the broken relationship between God and humans, and in that healing is the gift of life, even eternal life. That is why, by the way, we celebrate All Saints Sunday. We have the gift of eternal life that is promised and given to us, and it is a healing. It is the ultimate healing. Secondly, notice who the heroes in this story were. Who were they? The servants. The slaves. Interesting. And this is the way God often tells God's story, isn't it? where the lowly, the insignificant, the disenfranchised, the servants are the ones through whom God acts. Fascinating. Jesus, in fact, took the form of a servant. I've shared with you a couple of uh, images. Do you know who, what scene does this image depict, do you think? Yes, servant girl talking. It's a, it's a, lovely, uh, a lovely picture. There's kind of an earnestness, isn't there, on her, on her face. The slave girl who loved the man who imprisoned her. Um, again, love your enemies. God's love has been called indiscriminate and reckless. And the second one um, is this. This is also from, from Watchtower. Uh, what do you suppose that scene is? Any guesses? 
What's that? Uh, no, not Naaman talking to the king. Uh, Naaman's, Naaman's servants pulling him aside and saying, Naaman, think about this um, and intervening. So you have slaves as instruments when he's having his uh, meltdown and has to have some sense talked into him. Um, so the slaves are, are, are significant. They're key. But also, how many different people played key roles in this story. People who didn't have religious titles, apart, apart from Elisha, you know, the prophet, but how many others played key roles? You have the servant girl. You had Naaman's wife who chose to treat the servant girl with respect. You had the king of Assyria who did the wrong thing, the kind of stupid thing, but he had good intentions, right? You had uh, the servants. You had uh, Elisha, as grumpy as he, as he was. He still his only motivation was to do what God asked him to do. And so don't, these are the kinds of people God works through. Don't ever use the excuse God would never work through a person like me because God works through all kinds of different people. So maybe the question is, no matter who you are, what might God be up to in you today and tomorrow? What difference can you make in the lives of someone? And is there someone around you who needs healing in some fashion? And you can be an instrument of that person's healing and restoration. Finally, uh, Peter de Greber did a painting of Elisha uh, refusing the gifts from Naaman. And we don't know if this is uh, uh, initially, or I think this is after, after he's been healed. Naaman looks pretty pretty healthy and healed at this point, don't you think? You, you, may notice, you may notice what happened with Naaman in his evolution in this story. And this is my, this is my final point. Uh, for most of the story, all of his resources and gifts were an attempt to purchase his healing, which didn't work. They were refused. In the end, after the healing was simply given as a free gift because God chose to make him well, his gift is offered as a thanksgiving out of gratitude and praise for the one true God. In the end, Naaman offered a gift of thanks. And this is why the person of faith offers up gifts. And I've heard from many of you. And it's because you're thankful for all the blessings that you've received. There's no more profound reason for giving than the fact that you have been given to and blessed by the God who loves you. And so I hope you always give because you're thankful for what God has given you, ways that God has healed you, ways that God has picked you up with hope. Amen.